middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that's focused on sports and sports topics in the air capital, Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor, along with Weston Mills. It is 4th of July week. We are officially into the month of July. It's Independence Day weekend coming up in just a couple of days. A lot going on. And, you know, I guess the only kind of bummer about everything is that right about this time of year, we'd be talking about, you know, baseball in full swing. We're not there quite yet, obviously, because of COVID-19 and everything happening in the world today. But uh, I don't know about you, Weston. It just seems like the last three and a half months or so have gone by really slowly, but somehow we happen to be in July. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah, no, that's that's a perfect way to put it because I feel like, well, they've gone along slowly. If you look back and think about like the start of, you know, you and I having the conversation about March Madness and, and no fans, like that was going to be just the most wild thing, no fans. That feels like ages ago, you know? So while it, it, it does feel both like it's crept along, it also just feels like forever ago that we were kind of starting this this uh, new normal that we're living in. You know, I, I mentioned to you before we came on the air, it, you know, I was really excited about rocking my new USA Ryder Cup hat that the Ryder Cup squad wore in 2018 against the Europeans. Got it in the mail a couple of days ago. And for those of you who are watching this episode on YouTube or on Facebook, you'll notice that it's backwards. Uh, so it looks like ASU. It doesn't look like USA, but a uh, little disappointed, a little bit let down, but I'm not going to let that get to me today. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had a Chiefs hat on before we started the show and had to do a quick wardrobe change just because it felt too hot and got right out of the shower. And it just, so I think we're but we were both struggling right off the bat. Yeah, there you go. So, of course, we've got a lot to get to uh, on this new episode of Keeper of the Games. And again, we want to thank you for listening, for checking out the podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. You can find us on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And that's going to be important, Weston, for folks to hit subscribe because we've changed up the schedule a little bit uh, for the next few right. weeks or so. And so if you don't hit subscribe, you won't get a notification. You might miss an episode. We certainly don't want that to happen. Yeah, we're going to be doing, uh, and we tweeted it out from the main account today, but we will be for the next three weeks dropping episodes on Wednesdays um, leading up to, and then obviously this is changing as it, as it has been for over the last few months, but we're kind of hopeful that maybe at the end of those three weeks, we might be able to go back to a two episode a week schedule um, with hopefully sports kind of being back in the swing or right on the on the crest of being back in. So we're, ho- we're hopeful. Yeah, we haven't uh, done a two episode per week schedule, I think, since the end of March. Uh, and so it's been quite a while since we've done that. We've kind of been limiting it to once a week just because there hasn't been as much to talk about in a world without sports. So make sure to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. That way you'll get a notification the next three shows uh, so you know exactly when we have a new episode drop. Also, if you want to watch full episodes of Keeper of the Games, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube and watch 
those full episodes just by searching for Keeper of the Games. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G-Pod. Our website, by the way, is CogPod.Weebly.com. And also a special thanks to our sponsor title, Boxing Club, uh, 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. Uh, you can definitely go in and check them out. They're reopened now uh, with some great specials going on right now. So make sure to go check them out on the northeast side of Wichita if you want a great workout. Title Boxing Club, 21st and Rock Road. So with all of that out of the way, Weston, you ready to get into it? A lot of, a lot to talk about, a lot of big topics on this episode. Yeah, we do. It's, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, it's been kind of amazing that we started this podcast with no sports. And I feel like for the most part, actually, we've, we've had quite a bit of, you know, to talk about when, when things have been going on, there's been a lot of moving and shaking, whether it's free agency or just um, off season buzz and, and those kind of things. And I guess you're, I don't know, I'll call it off the field stories, but um, a lot going on and, and definitely a lot going on for today's episode. Yeah, you know, without a doubt. So we're going to get right into it. And our top story, we kind of adjusted it on the fly just about a couple of hours ago. Word came down that minor league baseball canceling the full 2020 season, which is not a total shock. It's not a total surprise, uh, but yet it's still disappointing for sure, because that does include the inaugural season of the Wichita wind surge at Riverfront Stadium, the brand new stadium in downtown Wichita. So, you know, in light of what's happening with Major League Baseball, you know, and the fact that the the season for the majors was going to be shortened and the extended player rosters for all of these teams, you know, all across the country in Major League Baseball, it just didn't seem logistically possible for the minors to have a season. And I think we were just kind of waiting for that confirmation to come out. Uh, it is a bummer, but uh, I guess closure is better than not knowing, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we both were uh, had some sort of hope that, you know, they'd figure something out. But I think we kind of both were under the impression that there just there just wasn't going to be able to work this out, especially the further and further that uh, the MLBPA and MLB dr- drug on their negotiations. You know, it just seemed even more unlikely that the minor leaguers would be able to get a chance to, to get out there and play. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen uh, at least one bit of buzz, I guess, on Twitter from some of the minor league players, you know, saying, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe it's time for us to have some representation here that, you know, the MLBPA maybe is not always looking out for the minor league players in their best interest. And and with that being said, not that this was handled in a manner in which, um, I don't know, was detrimental to them. I mean, they're not playing, obviously that's not great, but also, you know, I'm not sure what the the risk for some of those guys that are in the minor leagues and not making, you know, making 400 bucks, 500 bucks a month. I, you know, that's maybe that's low, but I, you know, I know they don't make much for those guys going out there and risking um, kind of what's going on in the world just probably wasn't going to make sense even outside of the businesses knowing that they were probably going to lose money if they were to roll those players out. How much is major league baseball as a as a whole, the entire hierarchy, the ownership, the players, how much blame should they shoulder for these minor leaguers? Uh, in, a, in a lot of cases, a lot of them not getting to play baseball at all this year. The delays that happened, the disputes that were going on between both parties. We've talked about it at length on this program. If if it were me and I'm looking back on it, if I were a minor leaguer that didn't get picked to be in one of these player pools across the entire big leagues, 
I'd be pretty pissed off at both Major League Baseball and the Players Union for fighting amongst themselves over money and over some other things too, but primarily money. And now because of all the delays and just the, the you know, the logistics involved, I'm not going to be able to play a season. That would make me pretty mad. Yeah. And I mean, with that being said too, and I, I agree with that, but with that being said too, it seems odd. You know, I'm wondering if we kind of, it's one of those situations where we need to wait on a little bit more information to come out because, you know, I mean, you see, you know, Legion baseball being played, you see youth baseball being played. Like there has got to be some way for these guys to be at least playing competitive games against each other. Even if there's no, you know, there's no standings involved. There's no, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with, with paying, paying these players. And I guess that's probably a part of it too, right? Is that, you know, there were some organizations that cut a lot of minor league player, minor league players or some that weren't paying. Most were, I think at this point, kind of paying their, the minor leaguers or at least some of them, but you got to imagine just for the developmental standpoint of these players, teams are going to want these guys doing something. Now, granted, they're all, they're still professional baseball players. So they'll be expected to, you know, take, you know, take, take at bats at whether it's, you know, in a cage or, you know, doing uh, grounders, those sort of things. I mean, they'll be still fine tuning their skills, but it's just not the same as playing an actual game. So I'm wondering if they'll come up with some creative way to at least get these guys playing against each other. Um, almost if it's even like a, you know, grapefruit league type setting or something like that. I think it kind of, to me, at least it, this whole thing is explained the way that major league baseball works and the way that in relation to the minor leagues. And, you know, I, I think the wording, um, I, I don't know if you saw the quote from, I believe he's the CEO of minor league baseball from the, you know, the big organization and his, his comments said something to the extent of major league baseball made us aware today that they would not be making the players available to play for our teams. And I thought that was a striking quote to me because I think too often we know that these players and the teams are affiliated with major league baseball, but in theory, I mean, not in theory, in reality, these players have contracts with the parent club, with the big league club, and the teams are affiliated with other right. minor league squads and make those players available to those squads. So really the, the control or the power or the authority does not lie with the minor league teams. It lies with the, with the parent organizations, uh, which I, we all knew that, but this is one of those examples where that really comes into play because I, you don't think about it an awful lot. Right. You think, well, this guy's playing for the Wichita wind surge. They're a AAA team. He's going to get called up. Really. It's kind of like the, the big leagues are loaning or, or leasing the, these players, uh, you know, to these minor league squads. And again, you just never think about it, but I thought that quote was really telling that really in, 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 in reality, major league baseball just basically said, you know, look, you guys can do what you want, but we're not going to make these players available for you, uh, this season. So obviously that left those, those teams in a bind. They're not going to have players. So of course they're not going to have a season. Yeah. And of course it's unfortunate enough for those, those guys, especially, you know, a lot that were, whether it's the guys that were just drafted or the guys that are, you know, just really trying to work their way up. And I mean, it's a grind to get through the minor leagues and make it to the major league. So yeah. being set back, especially, you know, I just, I had a, a friend from high school who he was in the, the minor leagues until he was, I mean, probably 28 or 29 and finally hung it up. And I mean, when you're that old in the minor leagues, essentially, you know, you're, 
starting to look at it like, hey, I, you know, I just probably not going to have a shot to get called up. So to be a 27, 28, 29-year-old minor leaguer and know that you have that's just one less season you're going to get a year older just knowing that that potentially could end your career, you know, is really unfortunate. But so and of course we all look at it that way, but the other thing too going back to Wichita, how unfortunate and Tommy we've we've talked about this really multiple times already on this podcast. So it's not like we're going to say anything new today that we haven't been saying, but how unfortunate for the city of Wichita to really build up this brand new stadium. You know what? And that's the other thing too, because it is a new stadium, it feels even more, I don't know, detrimental. Maybe that's, I don't know. That's too much of a word, but you know, if it was like, you know, the old, you know, if they just had the old ballpark or for any city, you know, and they're bringing the guys back, it was, even if it was a first year, like it just doesn't feel as much as, all this buildup, new team, new stadium, renovation around the riverfront. And then to not have that moment, it just, it, it seems like such a letdown and so disappointing. You know, I'm disappointed for really the the baseball fans in Wichita and the, the city itself. This is not a political talk show. We're not going to get into politics at all, but I, I do have to wonder how does former mayor of Wichita, Jeff Longwell, feel right now? I mean, he was the guy that championed this from day one. I mean, uh, part of the the really big, um, you know, one of the big issues that he campaigned on that he really led Wichita in was getting an affiliated baseball team back to Wichita and building a brand new stadium to do so. He did that. He led that charge. In, in a lot of cases, I think he alienated himself from a lot of people in the community who didn't want to pay more in taxes and, you know, that sort of thing. Whenever there's new development, you know, economically, taxpayers are going to be paying more. That's just kind of the way that it is. And ultimately, I think a lot of people would say that part of the reason why he was defeated in re-election just a few months ago by newcomer in politics, Brandon Whipple was because of him leading the charge to build a brand new stadium in downtown Wichita and bring an affiliated baseball team back. In fact, the entire tagline of the entire project was Wichita baseball 2020. Well, there's not going to be Wichita baseball in 2020. That's not his fault. Nobody could have predicted that. But at the same time, now you've got a brand new multi-million dollar facility in downtown Wichita that is pretty much going to set empty. I know a lot of people are saying, we're going to try to do some events in the fall. We're going to try to do some events in the winter. But by and large, that stadium is going to set empty until the spring. In in hindsight, in retrospect, you got to think, now you can't predict that this sort of thing is going to happen, but you got to think, maybe that wasn't the best investment for the city to make at this time. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could speak more to like, you know, the finances of the city. Cause like I think I mentioned probably on one of the earlier podcasts that we talked about this. I mean, you would hope that every city, and I know that, that that's a hope that's not always a reality, you know, has a rainy day fund to essentially offset the losses you take in a situation like a, a pandemic, any type of catastrophic event, um, those sort of things. Now, I know that's not reality, but I, and I obviously I can't speak to whether Wichita does or doesn't. I just, well, and, and, and I know that I can, I, I can tell you that Wichita is facing a pretty significant budget shortfall. Uh, and, and a lot of that is due to COVID-19. A lot of cities are facing that sort sure. of thing around the country that it just is going to happen. But you add on that burden of having a baseball stadium sitting empty that's brand new when the revenue that the city was set to make really the majority of that revenue was going to come from baseball being played. It wasn't going to be coming from 
some concerts that might happen at the stadium later this fall or this winter. It really came from baseball and it came from sales tax from businesses around the ballpark, assuming that people were going to be coming out and spending money at local restaurants and retailers. That sort of thing is not going to happen. And so the, the budget shortfall the prediction is so bad for Wichita right now because of the pandemic that Wichita is not even going to be opening public pools and splash pads around the city because of the cost and also because of the pandemic, but because of the cost of operating them. And that's one area where they're saying, look, we can save some money by not opening at all this year. Um, you have this big, beautiful, brand new stadium that just is sitting there and it's just costing the taxpayers money every single day that it sets empty yeah. until next spring. That's just insane. And I get that. But also here's the thing. When you build something like a stadium one year, it, this is not a one year plan. You know, you're, you're still hopeful that the long-term plan of increased development around the stadium is still going to be there. There's still like, you know, obviously, I mean, you can't, I can't even begin to just, you know, one season, of course, is going to have a, a, a big effect on, on what they're doing. But that's still one season in the grand scheme of ho- what you hope, you know, revenue is generated for downtown and, and really the increased development. Um, so you certainly hope that. I, I actually, I don't know if you caught, this was probably a couple weeks ago. I can't remember what we were particularly covering, but we got in on, I had tweeted and maybe it came from the keeper of the games account, but I suggested that they maybe uh, start a premium softball league down there at the riverfront stadium. I'm, I'm half kidding, half not, but I know if I was living back in Wichita, I would certainly pay a very premium price to play slow pitch softball in a cool stadium like that. That'd be fantastic. I mean, obviously I'm not, suggesting that that would even do a dent in, in the, the damage. But at least you'd get some people down there seeing the stadium, seeing how cool it was. And, hey, I'm uh, if someone from Riverfront Stadium is uh, listening, I'm more than happy to to help facilitate that. You'd have to wear the really short athletic shorts and the knee-high socks. Done. And a handlebar <laughs> mustache and a trucker cap and, like, a natty light. That's the only way that I think you can play slow pitch softball. Done. Done and done. If I can do it at Riverfront <laughs> Stadium, I would absolutely gear up for that one. There you go. Obviously, there's nothing positive out of this story. I mean, it's a bummer all the way around. It's a bummer for the fans. It's a bummer for the organization. It's a bummer for the city. It's a bummer for the players. It's a bummer for the the teams. Um, I, I do want to read the quote from the wind surge managing general partner, Lou Schwechheimer. He says, on behalf of the entire Wichita Wind Surge family and our partners in the Pacific Coast League, we would like to thank the city of Wichita for your love and support. While we are disappointed with today's announcement during the COVID-19 pandemic, our primary concern has been and remains the health, safety, and well-being of the fans and families entrusted to our core or to our care. As we navigate these challenging and unprecedented times together, please know that Wichita Wind Surge baseball has been delayed, not denied. We look forward to working closely with our corporate, community, and philanthropic partners to enhance the quality of life in this great community for generations to come. Our time will come. So obviously, like you just mentioned, it's not a one-year plan. You don't build a stadium for one year. You don't have a baseball organization at that level for one year. You have it for the long haul. You have it for the commitment. So you know, I think the, the line that sticks out to me is uh, baseball has been delayed but not denied, and hopefully – uh, that's the case for the wind surge, but still, you know, it's obviously disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, there was such a big buildup in in that. 
I guess that moment's kind of let down a little bit, but I mean, that moment's going to build back up to next year and, and you just hope that, you know, one year, as far as the, the money downfall, you can slide by and hope, hope to make it up in the future. We aren't the only ones, by the way, that are disappointed by the news today. Uh, we have one of our, our great Twitter followers at Gordo 1111 uh, tweeted us a little bit earlier today and said, how is it possible to have a major league baseball season without the minor leagues? This is an outrage, not once in over a hundred years. And because of poor planning and negotiations, this happens. Hashtag where's my wind surge. And I think overall, that's got to be the sentiments from just about everybody in the city that was excited to watch wind surge baseball. I had a, a partial season ticket package that now we're going to have to figure out refund details and what that's going to look like. And it's yeah. just, it's a headache. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think the overall, uh, the overall sentiment is just disappointment. We knew it was probably going to happen. We're not surprised. We're just kind of disappointed. Yeah. And, and I guess really at this point, we just kind of got to really focus on some of the other things that are coming up. I mean, I know it's not minor league baseball, what everyone is hoping for, but the NBC tournament, you know, has been a staple and it sounds like really, I think no decision really has kind of been made on that yet. They're still working towards being able to do that. Um, you know, my, so, by the way, my gut, my gut tells me that if they can, if Kevin Jinks and, and I like Kevin a lot, I've known Kevin for a long time. Uh, he's the executive director for NBC baseball. Uh, if he thinks and his organization thinks they can conduct the tournament safely with health protocols in place, I think they will for sure have it. Uh, so hopefully that's something to look forward to. Yeah. I don't have any inside knowledge, but that's just what my gut is telling me that if they can find a way to safely conduct the tournament, I think they will. You know, and I think I think Riverfront Stadium and the, and the wind surge need that too because I think having folks stream through that that stadium is going to just help kind of keep the momentum going because that's the I, I think the biggest fear really with all this is that there had been there was great momentum building up to the to the start of this season I felt like there was a lot of excitement a lot of buzz and you would hate for that to not regenerate at the start of next season when they when they're really really needing folks out to the games and and to really pack that place full um, you know come next next spring so uh you hope that things like the nbc and you know if they're if they can squeeze a concert or i don't know whatever other type of events they could squeeze in there i think that's all to the benefit of of the wind surge in that stadium yeah you know between a potential nbc tournament downtown and maybe even a rec league softball league (laughs) that's right but uh yeah i mean if you want to spearhead that I'm sure we could try to get you in touch with the folks at the wind surge. Just need to make a few phone calls and I'm, I, I would come to, I would drive down on Wednesdays just for a Wednesday night league or something. There you go. All right, let's go ahead and transition into our other top story. This was going to be the story that led the show because it's been a story that has led the narrative in not just local and regional news, but even national news and not just sports news either, but news networks around the country. And it all is originating in Manhattan, Kansas. It's not a topic that I think either you Weston or myself relish in discussing, but at the same time, it is happening relatively close to home and it's kind of in our territory and it's about kind of sports on the peripheral. So we want to make sure that we're at least talking about all the controversy at Kansas State University after student Jaden McNeil uh, tweeted a, a highly offensive tweet just a few days ago. And then with the response from the athletic community at Kansas State 
after the fact, what that has generated and where we stand right now. So Weston, I'm going to have you put your lawyer hat on here for a second. I feel like we've had to lean on your profession quite a bit over the last couple of months on this program, but it's definitely a very sticky situation that Kansas State University finds itself in right now. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think when this initially came came out, I, I think I was a little not concerned, but, you know, I guess curious at what the university was going to do. They're, they're, they're going to be put in a tough position here because essentially you have a student who made a very, you know, I'll use the word unsavory. I know a lot of people could use a lot of different words to describe that tweet. Um, but what the student um, is describing as, you know, a joke that he made, um, there was not any racial slurs used or, vulgar language and I and I'm only prefacing that because I'm I'm going to kind of talk about a little bit about legally what what the university you know can do here in, in the the context of that tweet is going to be imperative to to what they can and can't do um so you know I was a little concerned at first I you know I did think that a lot of the it sounded like some of the narrative coming from the football players was they wanted this student kicked off campus um and then it, it kind of shifted, I, I think, from now, my understanding at the last I had seen, as a st- uh, football group, as a football team, they had decided, they had made an, uh, an announcement that they were going to sit out the season if there was not action taken by the university to basically prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future. Is that your understanding of, of kind of what their position was, Tommy? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, you know, originally they, the, you know, the, the student athletes came out and said, we're not, per, we're not going to participate at all unless you expel him. And then I don't know, I don't, I don't know exactly how things transpired, but I, I'm sure that somebody got to them and said, look, like we, we, we probably can't expel him legally. That's probably not something right. we can do. So then I think they went back and they said, okay, well, let's try to figure out a way that maybe there can be some sort of discipline, you know, taken against this student. And then at the same time, institute some sort of policy to, pre- to prevent this sort of thing from happening again, or to at least give the university some ammunition to be able to take harsher action against anybody who decides that they want to do something like this in the future. That's sort of the understanding that I have about the situation as it stands right now. Yeah, that's what I I think happened too. Cause that, you know, there were, I think there were several, several individual players who were there. The initial reaction was, Hey, the student needs expelled. And then as a football team, I think, I think where I first saw it was a statement that was put out by Skylar Thompson, that the, the quarterback for K state. And I think it was a, a team message. I don't think it was Skylar's message, but I, I happened to happen to catch his tweet um, in which they were, I think asking for the university to basically put policies in effect. Um, to prevent this. And so here's where, you know, I want to talk a little bit because I think this is important and it gets, I, I get frustrated to some degree because this, when we talk about the freedom of speech, it gets missed. Oh, so often. I mean, how often do you hear someone say something, you know, absolutely racist or vulgar or whatever they get fired from their job. And then they say, Oh, what happened to freedom of speech? Well, okay. So the first amendment, what the constitution does, it does, it does really two things. It either tells the government what they must do for you or, or what they can't do for you. So that's where we need to focus here. It's, it's, it's about the government, right? So if you work for a private company, 
you essentially do not, they are allowed to fire you for whatever reason. That is a private company. The constitution does not affect their, your freedom of speech within what they want to do. Now, a public university is a totally different ballgame. That is, the, in fact, the essence of the government. And so basically, I'm going to give you a, a, just a real quick rundown of, of what this actually looks like, because I think it's so I think it's so important because what the K-State players were wanting to do, I completely understand. And I appreciate their approach of, of coming together and saying, OK, forget this kid. We want to make sure that the university or Kansas State University is a better place as a whole moving forward. And I appreciate that sentiment. I really do. But it's important to look at what the university is even going to be able to do. So, I mean, basically, so this is three cases, I guess I want to just mention real quick. In 1969, the Supreme Court basically said, this is in Tinker versus Des Moines, said that students don't shed the constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. So that was kind of the first case that really said, hey, public, whether it's a high school, public school as a whole, is covered under this first amendment. And then basically you had another case coming out of Ohio where, where, and this is where it's important what this individual tweeted, because they said that the government cannot punish inflammatory speech unless that speech is directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action, which is a pretty high standard um, sure. When you talk about an inflammatory language or speech or tweet, it's also it's also subjective, wouldn't you say too? A little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And and basically, I mean, the old, I mean, so if you're if you ask me to actually have a legal opinion on something, right? The, the old joke with with lawyers, and it's not funny because it's just lawyers, and we're not funny. But is the answer is <laughs> the answer is always it depends because these things are incredibly nuanced. It is incredibly sure. fact intensive, and I mean that's obviously why you you know you have. Two, you can have two very intelligent lawyers and a, and a third party and a judge all coming to different conclusions on the same thing because they are can be so nuanced. nuanced. Um, but then the only other thing I, I want to specifically point out, um, the Supreme Court in 1989 actually looked at essentially something like what is being suggested by the K-State players. Uh, um, in 89, it was um, the University of Michigan had in, put in place a speech code um, and without getting too much into the details, kind of the same thing saying, hey, you can say these things. You can't say these things. We're considering these things harassing and we're not going to allow that. Um, and basically the, the Supreme Court struck that down as unconstitutional, um, you know, and they in particularly there is actually interesting because it was kind of flipped at the time. It was um, once the code went into place there were 20 cases in which white students charged black students with offensive speech. And then that case ended up going through the Supreme court and they said, no, this, this is unconstitutional because you have to be able to protect that, that speech. So I, I give you all that. And I know maybe some people are interested and some people aren't. I know that it, it can be kind of dry, but I think it's so important to know that background before everybody just jumps in with opinions on right, wrong, left, and the other. If you don't understand the framework of, of what the university can and can't do, I just don't think that you can make a, you know, educated opinion on whatever action they do decide to take here in the next coming month, because you know that they're going to make um, some sort of action. So, uh, you know, I think that's kind of the framework that we have to look at this through. Here's where I come at it from all of this. So first things first, this student is a troll. Like he is just a thousand percent a troll. And, you know, it's not the first time that he has made headlines for some of the things that he has said. 
uh, his opinions on things, jokes that he has made, attention grabbing, spotlight grabbing, far right, um, you know, white supremacist, white nationalist rhetoric. It's not the first time that this student has used his social media platforms to to put this out there. The next thing I'll say is that a lot of times it's better to not feed the troll than it is to respond or let it affect you or whatever. I say all that though. I also applaud the way that K-State and the student, uh, the student athletes have bonded together. They've come together. They've used their platform. They've used their status, their stature at the university to try to impact change. I think that's a, uh, that's a really great way to use your status. It's a really great way to use the skills and the talents that you have, your God-given talents, your, you know, the talents that you've worked really hard to refine and grow and build over the years to use that in a responsible way and use it for good to try to impact change. I think that's outstanding. Um, I, 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 I was talking to a guy that I know uh, the other day and we were talking about this story and he made the comment, he goes, you know, the, the, the quote unquote joke that the student, which we're not even going to name him, it's not even important to give his, his name out, but the joke quote unquote, that the students tweeted, the person I was talking to said, that's probably not something that you want to put on social media. That's probably more of a joke that you would tell amongst your friends. And I looked at him and I said, even then it's in bad taste. Even then it's not appropriate, even like there there's, and we're not going to get into a big conversation and a big topic about political correctness and freedom of speech and, you know, all of that. But I, I, I understand people's perspective when they say this sort of speech should absolutely not be tolerated. But then I also understand the same, you know, different people that say at the same time, we should be able to say whatever we want to say, but then also be able to live with the consequences that are, are, are doled out. I'm rambling. I don't really have a point. I think there were a few different things I wanted to say about this. Um, but I will, I will tell you that one thing that is concerning to me about this overall topic is that you're going to find cases of systemic racism in pretty much any kind of institution, whether that's of higher learning, whether that's in a corporate environment, it's just, it's going to happen. Like those things, they've never went away. They're here today in some cases in a lot of different areas. What's concerning to me is that there seems to be a trend at Kansas State University where you're hearing about it more often than in other places. And so I applaud the leadership of the university for saying, look, we've heard too many stories and had too many situations that have come up over the last several years that are concerning enough to us that we have to do something about that. You know, there were stories in the news just a couple of years ago about burning crosses that were found around campus and, you know, people writing KKK on, you know, white sheets and they were, you know, just different stories that were happening all around campus. That's concerning to me. And I think that what this student tweeted, I think may have finally been the linchpin to get this university moving in the right direction. I'm not sure if I'm making any sense at all, but that's sort of where I'm landing with all of this. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I think 
kind of from my perspective, I think there's there's a bunch of different ways to to handle what's going on or and maybe not even handles the right word, because really, it's just about improving conditions. Right. Like that's what we all want. It doesn't matter where you land on the on the spectrum of this tweet was offensive. This tweet wasn't offensive. You know, this guy should have freedom of speech. This should be, you know, this kind of talk comment should be curbed. Like, I think any, no matter what, what stance you take on that, we can all agree improvement is always a good thing, right? So improving the campus, making things better for everyone, I think is, is always a good thing. But I, I want to go back because you had said something earlier, you were kind of talking about, um, you know, this, this tweet and really the response, um, you know, how you even respond to a troll that really just kind of gives them more, more motive than anything. And, and I, I was talking with my wife actually at, you know, as we were eating dinner, um, you know, just about this. And I, you know, I told her we were going to talk about it on the podcast and, and she said, you know, that's, she's like, if you, if you talk about it, you know, if these guys if any of these players, if they actually were to sit out, like that's letting him win, you know, I mean, that's that's just giving legs to that this guy and his thoughts matter, because I mean, if you're if you're a racist, if you're a jerk, if you're a bigot, like your thoughts don't matter to me, you know, and and I'm not going to do anything to, to give you a platform. Now, again, that's why I had mentioned in the beginning, I'm glad that the players kind of kind of took a swerve on their stance a little bit and, and said, hey, we want to focus on the university as a whole and not just this this guy because he doesn't i mean you know most of these players probably wouldn't i would actually really be willing to say all the, all the players probably could not point this guy out on campus if they walked right by him you know sure. i mean just doesn't he, there's just no reason to give him a bigger plan even if they did they wouldn't care right exactly so you know and and i think again you know i the other thing you said that i i really liked and and this is maybe my, kind of my my personal and again i understand that your people are going to have different feelings on these things and and there's multiple different ways things can be handled or improved or whatever but i kind of like the approach of look if people are going to say things that are you know stupid inappropriate racist unsavory that you don't like just know that whatever they're saying there are consequences for that now yep as I just kind of mentioned to start this, because that's where I wanted to come from. Like there might not be a lot the university, if anything can do here, but just know all those tweets he's put out there will be there for future employers. They will be there, mm-hmm. you know, when uh, he meets some girly likes and, and she's got to, he's got to go meet, meet uh, her dad. You know, I mean, he wants to, he wants to show up to the party that all the K-State football players are, are showing up to. Okay, well, you know, he's going to have to live with the consequences of showing up to that party yeah. where a bunch of guys may not really like him that are incredible athletes. But, you know, I think for the most part, uh, this, I mean, my, my, what I think for these players, um, you know, again, they can handle it. They're all grown men. So that, you know, however they want to handle it is their business. But I certainly wouldn't want to see any of these guys that, you know, maybe have a shot. A lot of these guys, you know, K State puts guys in the league all the time. You know, so any one of these players, um, that has a shot to be in the league. You know, you certainly wouldn't want to see them uh, be affect that affected by that. Um, you know, just for some jamoke kid, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Um, 
and, and granted, I get it. And that's, I kind of, and again, I'm probably rambling like you were, like you mentioned you were now too, but you know, I get it. If they, if that's the stance they want to take and, and go for it, Hey, everyone's got their feelings and they feel that's more important than their NFL career. I just, you know, I personally think, Hey boy, I would hate to see, you know, their goals that they have set forth. They've been there for three years, four years at the university be, you know, just pushed aside because of, of this kid. So, you know, and, and with that being said, like you mentioned, K-State's been going through, some stuff over the last few years in, in this category. And, and you just hope that this really is that kind of final push um, to say, Hey, we we've got to do something, you know, we've got to be better. And hopefully you, you see the university. And, I, and the other thing too, is for this one kid who tweeted something so inappropriate, I have seen a ton of outpour you know, positive, positive comments from, from seems like obviously K-State fans, mostly supporting the football team saying, we appreciate what you all are doing. Of course, there are some people that aren't happy with it, but for the most part, it all seems positive. So it does kind of seem like that is one guy. um, Hopefully that is a minority view that would tweet or say something. So, you know, unsavory or, or insensitive, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'll, I'll just sum it up like this before we move on. So, you know, I, I, my personal feeling is this kid can say whatever he wants and he is protected by freedom of speech to say that. But at the same time, there are going to be consequences, whether that's official consequences from the university or, you know, some secondary consequences, some of which, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago, he's going to have to live with that. And at the same time, also, I think one of the biggest reasons why the students stood up and spoke up the way that they did wasn't necessarily because of what he said directly. I think that's part of it, but I think it was also the lack of, in their minds, the lack of of direct consequences that potentially could be impacting him. They're just really, I think in their minds, like really there's nothing that the university can do. And that, that makes us upset. We're mm-hmm. not going to play unless the university in the future can find a way to take some action. They can find a way to be better, to, to move, you know, the, the conditions forward, uh, you know, for, for those who are minorities on campus. So uh, I think that's kind of how I would sum it up. And that's kind of where I fall. The other thing I'll say about it before we move on is that I really feel like I don't even need to go to law school. Like I've gotten a, a great law school education from you over the last couple of months. Like I could go up and like probably argue before a judge, like right now, just well, from all the, all the advice you've given me. Well, uh, I guess I'll add two things. I probably haven't, in, I guess I've argued in front of an administrative judge, but I haven't been in front of a, an actual judge in, in a probably two years. Um, and secondly, I definitely do not practice constitutional law, took one year of, of con law in law school and haven't touched the topic since. So I definitely had to kind of do some refresh before we went into that. There you go. Um, and that's our, that's like our official disclaimer, exactly, right? Like, exactly. That's what here to be construed as actual right. legal advice from that's, Western Mills. That's right. And if we do have any other listener or lawyers listening to the podcast, they may be going, oh, no, no, no. This case came down in 2012 that changes everything Weston said. I didn't see anything out there. But, you know, I may very well miss because I certainly don't practice in that area. But, um, you know, I guess it's just, you know, I did want to kind of bring that aspect to the podcast today because I think the it, without getting too far into it, when 
in today's climate, I think there are a lot of folks that get frustrated by people that push information, whether it's just speaking off, you know, the, the cuff of their sleeve or whatever, that is just incorrect. You know, it's like, okay, if we disagree on something, but we're both coming from it with, you know, the same set of facts and understanding of, of what can and can't be, then okay, that's fine. We disagree. But I think people get very frustrated and things get really out of hand when we don't even have an understanding of, you know, what, what, what the law says or what can or can't, I mean, what can or can't be or what sure. the facts of something were. So I just thought that that would probably be a, a little bit of an important to, to kind of bring that to the forefront when, when we talked about this conversation. It's definitely an interesting situation. It's not, again, it's kind of like the minor league baseball story. Like there's really not a whole lot of positive to uh, to pull out of this because it really is a sticky situation uh, in Manhattan, but we felt like it was the right thing to do uh, to at least bring it up and talk about it. What do you say we move on? You good with that? Well, I do want to say it did feel like uh, this was kind of the K-State's football team's like, remember the Titans moment, you know, as a team yeah. that came together. And I don't know, I just, I love, I, that is literally my all-time favorite movie. So that was kind of a cool I don't know, I guess a positive maybe that came out of it is you, you kind of just get the feeling that, that probably as a team, they probably bonded like they haven't ever bonded before. They're going to have to come out of the tunnel doing, you know, strong side, left side or whatever that chant was from oh, the yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, let's go, ahead and, let's go ahead and move on and talk more football. We're going to just mention this briefly. We have a couple other things we want to talk about on the program. Cam Newton is now a New England Patriot. He signed with the Patriots a one-year deal. It's the league minimum, which is is crazy uh, that he's going to the Patriots for that little amount of money. Obviously, he's coming off an injury that uh, basically, you know, kind of led his way out of Carolina, for lack of a better word. My only question for you, Weston. Uh, like I said, we're not going to talk about this long. I just want to get your gut reaction. Cam Newton joining the Patriots. Are they a threat to the Chiefs this coming season in the AFC? No. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if Jared Stidham still starts over Cam Newton. Like that's that really. Been, I mean, that was Belichick's. I mean, it, for anybody who pretends like they can predict Bill Belichick, you, they're just wrong and they're lying to you. But I mean, that's his, Stidham was his guy, and Cam we just have not seen him. But of course, I mean, if Cam in twenty twenty can be what Cam was in twenty fifteen, I mean, he's incredible. But I still even even just that I think that roster as a whole has some problems. I don't even think if if you get twenty fifteen Cam. Um, they, I don't think that makes them a top five team in the NFL. Um, right. I mean, right there, if it's prime cam, but probably not top five, I think the, I'm still much more worried about uh, the bucks, especially with the rumors that Antonio Brown might be landing there. So do you think that, you know, uh, with, without cam, if it was just, you know, Jared Stidham leading the Patriots this upcoming season, are they, are they a 500 team? Do they win nine or 10 games? I mean, if, if you're not concerned about them threatening the chiefs in the AFC, then where do you put them? You know, I think 500 are slightly, slightly better. I mean, Belichick's a great coach. He, he is, but you can, as a football coach, you can only do so much. You still have to have the players. And I think Stidham can be good. I think Belichick elevates quarterbacks like no other coach does. But I mean, you saw what Brady did with that roster last year. Like they were, and they, their record was good, but they, I still think they overperformed. They had a very soft schedule. And I think that was kind of a product to get to that 12 win mark or whatever they were at. Um, 
but I just don't, I think this team is going to be competitive because Belichick won't never be competitive, not competitive, but um, I think eight, maybe nine wins is, is what you're looking at. And maybe 10 if it's prime cam, maybe. Interesting. All right. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Cam Newton uh, looks like he'll be joining the New England Patriots, replacing Tom Brady if he wins the starting role over Jared Stidham in New England. So definitely interesting and wanted to get your thoughts on that. Let's go ahead and get right in to the Wichita whip around for this episode of Keeper of the Game. So we talked about this briefly on the episode last week. We didn't have time to talk about it much, uh, but I want to get into it and talk about it here today. And it's about the Wichita Open golf tournament. So obviously the Wichita Open is rescheduled now for September at Crestview Country Club. This article in the Wichita Business Journal talks all about how uh, in, you know, despite everything going on with the pandemic and with the Wichita Open, they're having a pretty decent time finding sponsors. It's happening okay for them. Uh, there's a couple new uh, sponsors that came on board, a couple new charitable organizations that are on board to help sponsor the Wichita Open. Does that surprise you at all? I mean, obviously, this is a, a very popular tournament. It's been around for a long time in Wichita at multiple different golf courses all around the city. It seems like people, despite what's going on in the city with the pandemic, are still willing to donate and help the cause for the Wichita Open. Yeah, I, you know, and I think that's uh, I think that really is what it, what a lot of this is about. I mean, it's there's a lot of people that take a lot of pride in Wichita and being able to keep such a fun event in Wichita probably is going to take this year, you know, some significant support, um, you know, and what I didn't see, I'm curious um, and maybe it was in the article and I missed it, but is there any type of, hey, look, if you continue to support us this year, you know, you're going to lock you in at the at the rate for your sponsorship for the year after that. Or, you know, maybe there's some sort of deal. But but ultimately, I, I do. I think it's mostly I think it's a lot of pride in Wichita, a lot of folks that want to continue to be associated with that and just truly want to keep the Wichita open at the Crestview Country Club and the fun and excitement that it's always been. And, you know, it, I think it probably takes a little bit of a blind donation and blind money going to sponsor a sponsorship that you may not know has much of return return and value. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Roy Turner and his crew who plan the Wichita open every year. Uh, you know, this is a, a guy that, you know, he w has been able to come in and just do a really good job at making sure that the tournament stays at the level that it needs to be at each and every year. And, and, you know, I, one of the things that I, I don't think a lot of people realize about the Wichita open is how the sponsorships work. So rather than there being one major title sponsor, which you see that all the time, even at the highest, you know, levels with the PGA, like this weekend is the rocket mortgage classic. You know, you see that huge title sponsor dropping a ton of money. That's not the way the Wichita Open works. They have what they call ambassadors, and it's multiple organizations at smaller price points where they come in and, and they're all spending the money that way. And so the, the two newest ambassadors are the Augie Navarro Scholarship Foundation and Central Power Systems and Services. So Augie Navarro was the golf pro at Sim Park Golf Course from 1962 to 1993. Uh, his sons, Rick Navarro and Gary Navarro, um, they are with MV Purchasing. Uh, I'm grateful enough to be able to. I've sat in their box, the MV Purchasing box at the Wichita Open before. They're great people. They're super philanthropic in the community. They're they're great ambassadors, not just for the city, but for the tournament as well. And, and so I just think that having these 
organizations that are able to come in and say, all right, yeah, like we want to be involved. We can do it at a smaller price point. I think that opens the door for more organizations to be able to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I will mention uh, so little, I guess, fun connection to me here that I didn't realize was uh, Central Central Power System and Service was a former client of mine at my uh, previous law firm. Oh, very cool. So we've yeah. got some connections that way, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and they're, they're real, you know, real good folk too. I, you know, I, uh, Robin Roberts is CEO over there. I worked with him. He's, um, you know, a golf guy, you know, I'm sure. So I'm sure they were excited to kind of keep this, this being involved as well. So, uh, fun. And, fun you know, I, I, I think a lot of people, you know, that maybe are not super, involved in golf or know much about golf at all or care about golf at all. I don't think they really realize the prominence that the Wichita Open has on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, it was named the Corn Ferry Tours Tournament of the Year in 2019. It's one of four remaining stops to play in all 31 years that that tour has existed. I mean, going all the way back to when it was the Ben Hogan tour, then it was the Nike tour, then it was the nationwide tour, the web.com tour. Mm -hmm. Now it's the corn Ferry tour. Uh, one of only four stops that's been played every year since the tour has been around and it's delivered almost $1.5 million to local charities also, which is just incredible. And so, um, you know, I, I, I will say that, we have read and we have discussed and we have talked about a ton of negative sports news in the Wichita area over the last couple of months or so because of COVID. It's nice to read some positive news about some local sports, uh, still being able to get sponsors, still being able to help those less fortunate and really being able to provide a top notch event each and every year. That's it's incredible to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we had mentioned it last time we talked about the Wichita Open, but I think I'm going to have to, you know, get down and, and attend one of these events. Um, probably won't be this year, obviously, but hopefully in the near sure. future. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I, I've said this before on this podcast, uh, but I'm not sure that there is a better overall sporting event in Wichita. I think the only one that maybe rivals it is when the NCAA tournament came to Wichita because that was yeah. just such a spectacle. But other than that, year in and year out, as far as an annual sports event in the city, I might be missing something, but at least in my mind and for my money, I'm not sure anything is better uh, than the Wichita Open. And I would, I you know, I know that we've had some conversations with, or at least I have, some folks from the Wichita Open. Um, and, and hopefully closer to the tournament, we can get them on the podcast. We can, yeah. I'd love to be involved in some way and help promote uh, the, the Wichita Open on this podcast more often as we get closer to it because I'm such a big fan. Yeah, and great to great for Wichita to show that they can continually host, you know, a, a national sporting event, essentially. I mean, with the NCAA tournament and, you know, the Wichita Open, I mean, it's the cornferry.com or the cornferry tour, you know, that is a, a national event that they're hosting um, and, and do so well. You hope that that, continues to, to kind of sh open eyes to, to folks on a national level that, hey, Wichita is a great stop to, to hold, a, uh, hold an event. Absolutely. So that's our Wichita whip around on this episode of Keeper of the Games. All right. So we do have a finally funny. Typically at this moment, we talk about that. We're going to we, we are going to do one. We're going to do a finally funny here in just a few minutes. But before we get to that, something that I'm really excited about, we've got a few minutes left on the show uh, before we wrap up. So obviously this weekend is the 4th of July. It's Independence Day. And I would say it's it's really cliche, Weston, to talk about 
like best sports moments that are patriotic. Like you can look at any Olympic game or you can look at Ryder cup, you know, in golf, or you can look at some of these other, you know, national type deals, world baseball classics. And, you know, there, you know, there are a lot of huge patriotic sports events or even like great, you know, great national anthem performances. That's really cliche. We're not going to do that. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a little bit more of a niche area, the best patriotic sports moments in movies. If you can think of any, I've got a couple off the top of my head, but is there, is there a movie? Is there a film in your mind that you think of when you think of 4th of July patriotic America in film as it deals with sports? I, I, I have to imagine to some degree, I'm probably going to to steal maybe one that was on your list, but that's absolutely okay. what I think of. And I think of it on the 4th of July every year, not even just, you know, as this moment, as you're asking me, but the scene in Sandlot when they're playing yeah. baseball on the 4th of July, uh, you know, I think it's uh, America, the beautiful is playing in the background. Like that absolutely to me jumps off the page right away as like probably the most uh, patriotic moment. Yeah, no, I, that was going to be my number one. I mean, you've got Ray Charles in the background, you know, and he's singing America, the beautiful, and you've got them playing the only night game of the entire summer and they're running through the the buffet and they're making hot dogs and the sparklers are going off in the street and they're running back and they're playing baseball. And what I just, what I love about that, and it just, it takes me back to my childhood is you're playing with your friends, whether you're playing baseball or playing tag or whatever, you're playing with them on the 4th of July. And all of a sudden the fireworks show starts and you just stop everything you're doing and you just look up and you see the fireworks. And that happens exactly like that in the sandlot. And it's, it's giving me chills right now to talk about it. Oh, you know, absolutely. And that's, I mean, you know, especially, and maybe we've been shifting away from this, but you know, baseball is, you know, it's always been said it's America's pastime and um, there's just, it just truly is that to me, that scene represents kind of the 4th of July. Like that's what it's all about. And I, that's, and that's one of my favorite movies of all time too. So of course I had to go, go that route. But uh, do you have, what other ones did you have knowing that I took your number one? Sure. Well, there are some honorable mentions. So I was going to kind of, I wasn't going to rank them, but I was going to say, here are my honorable mentions. And then obviously the Sandlot was number one. We'll just go in the opposite direction. So some of the honorable mentions, how about when Rocky beats Drago in Rocky four? Oh, yo, I mean, I, you know, yeah, I mean, come on. I, I, you know, taking down Drago in the Soviet union in Rocky four, that's got to be an honorable mention right there. And, you know, he's draped with the American flag Rocky is, and that's got to be a big one for sure. Um, how about this one for a, uh, for an honorable mention? This is one that maybe not a lot of people think of because it, you know, is maybe more, you know, satire than anything else. But how about when Ricky Bobby beats Gene Gerard and Talladega Nights? <laughs> that's fantastic. I love it. That's right. You know, that- that is that is like that movie was very American, if you will. Um, so yeah, it, no, it that's, was. That's absolutely. I think uh, I'll, so. I'll switch sports here. Well, I mean, you went to you went from uh, we went baseball to boxing to NASCAR, I suppose. Yep. Um, and is there anything more patriotic than just NASCAR in general? No, I'm not sure that there is. Absolutely not. Hey, and by the way, two of our listeners that listen, I think quite a bit, um, Kelsey and Austin Knipp, they had specifically asked me if we could get a little bit more NASCAR on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm counting this. We got some, some NASCAR in the podcast. There you go. Um, but going, 
you know, circling back to, to what we were talking about, another one, the, the speech from Herb Brooks in Miracle, you know, yeah. when he's saying, you know, great moments aren't born or I, I'm going to butcher it. But I mean, that whole scene just before they go out. Oh, my gosh. that That's an incredible just kind of gets you going, gets you excited. Well, and that's probably that, that, you know, the whole miracle on ice situation. I mean, shifting away from movies, that's probably one of, if not the most patriotic sports moments of all time, you know, back in the 1980 Olympics. Now, obviously miracle is the film, you know, that, that documented all of that, you know, in a dramatic way, but no, I totally agree. That's, that's gotta be on that list for sure. How about, and so here's, here's one of my other favorite movies. How about mighty ducks Two? When they go to the junior, together, yes. When they go to the junior Goodwill games and beat Russia, that was pretty, pretty. Especially after uh, Coach Bombay had, you know, he got he, his NHL or, or minor league hockey career ended by uh, the coach for Russia. And oh man, what a what a movie! Watch that one a hundred times as well. Now, a lot of people might say, and you know, before we move on to our finally funny, I just want to get this in. A lot of people might say that what the ducks did now, obviously they won and they won for their country, but what the ducks did to win might not be patriotic. Like they took off their USA jerseys and they put on their ducks jerseys. Like they said, Hey, look, we're not gonna, we're not going to wear the red, white, and blue anymore. We're going to wear the green. And they won. They did win for their country, but they won wearing their green and not the red, white, and blue. Uh, is that, that's gotta be a little divisive. Wouldn't you say? I can understand the controversy, but I would just compare the, the ducks Jersey is like the, you know, the camo, you know, it's the camo that they were sporting for the, for the battle. It's not so much, you know, couldn't, couldn't rock the colors. It was just throwing them off a little bit. So needed, needed their camos, their ducks jerseys on. All right. So what, so how about we say that uh, number one of all time has got to be the Sandlot. You and I are both in agreement on that. Yep. Then some honorable mention, Rocky four yep. miracle yep. Uh, Talladega nights. Yeah, for sure. And then of course D two, the mighty ducks that yeah, work for you. Yeah, sure. And I'm sure we're missing some. And before we, before we move on, I do want to add one of my favorite actual sport events, um, patriotic moments. How about when Joey Chestnut took down Kobayashi to finally bring the hot dog eating contest back to the Americans. Um, or in 2018, when he ate 74 hot dogs to set the world record of just breaking his own record, but got to love the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. That, that is the, one of the most patriotic sporting events, if you will, that I like every year. <laughs> I can't promise that I'm going to eat 74 hot dogs this weekend, but I think I'll probably eat a lot of hot dogs this weekend. I wouldn't be surprised. How about, uh, if, if we're oh, go ahead. I was just say, how about you just shoot for like between four and seven, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that'll work. That's probably good. Hey, if you've got any, uh, if you're listening and you have any, uh, you know, major movie sporting patriotic events that we might've missed, let us know, like tweet us at CogPod at KOG pod. Let us know if we missed anything. Uh, and, and we'd be happy to look at that. I mean, I'm not going to say that you're right, but at least we'll take a look at that. And, and, you know, in case we missed anything before we wrap up, let's take a look at that. Finally, funny Weston, you've got one. What is it? Yeah. So uh, as uh, everyone has, I'm sure heard, you know, Governor uh, Laura Kelly mandating uh, mass in the state of Kansas, there is a mass that's floating around up here in Kansas City. And I don't know if folks have seen this on Twitter um, in Wichita. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't, but uh, there are masks being sold and I'll have to find out who's selling them. I think it's Wonder Boy, um, but it, they are masks that say, help keep Patrick Mahone safe wear a mask. I'm all in on that. I'll make sure to tweet that picture from the, uh, the Cogpod Twitter account. 
Hey, if I if I wasn't down to wear a mask before, when you put it that way, I might have to start wearing one, which I'm going to anyway. But uh, the the fact that you know, yeah. I never thought about it. Hey, I'm going to keep Patrick Mahomes safe. He's a national treasure. We've got to keep the man safe. It's a message we can all get behind. I think that's one thing, you know, regardless what side of the aisle you're on, what political, you know, side you're siding with on all of this, right. at least we know that we can all agree on keeping Patrick Mahomes safe. That's right. We got to get another Super Bowl. Or <laughs> there or you go. Three or four or five. I don't know. I don't want to sell it short. It's a dynasty. We want to make sure that uh, he's safe for the next 20, 20 years. That's Let's go ahead and say that. Absolutely. Uh, that's going to wrap up Keeper of the Games for this episode. Again, make sure to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode, you will get a notification. Again, you can listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, many others out there. Anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, you can find us there. Of course, you can go to our website, cogpod.weebly.com. You can watch full episodes there on our website or also on YouTube and Facebook just by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. And just another quick shout out to our sponsor, Title Boxing Club at 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. Make sure to go check them out and uh, start getting in shape today with Title Boxing Club. So with that, uh, Weston, I hope you have an awesome 4th of July weekend, man. Absolutely. Hot dogs are in the future. There you go. Uh, remind folks of your Twitter handle. At WMills94. All right. So uh, mine is, by the way, at Tweets from Tommy. So you can follow us there. For Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. We all hope you have a great Independence Day weekend. Thank you so much for checking out Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 